Welcome to the Grow Wealth Experience, where top business leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world help empower you to build your best financial life. Now here's your host, Aisha Turgut. Welcome back to our second episode of the Grow Wealth Podcast. Today, we're going to explore the topic of real estate and technology, otherwise known as prop tech, and it's prop tech's impact on the future of the real estate sector. Now, my goal for you, as well as my clients with my company, Grow Wealth Group, is to bring you the latest, most up-to-date, relevant information out there to you. You can today start learning about the different financial vehicles to help you grow your wealth, such as real estate or even starting and growing a business. However, by the time you're done, something new has popped up. That's how fast the world is changing, and this is what we are witnessing before us. Now, technology is driving the change in the real estate sector. And I was recently looking at a PricewaterhouseCoopers Emerging Trends in Real Estate report, and it was showing that in the last two years, there has been an $8.6 billion of venture capital injected into the prop tech sector. That is in the last five years, five years ago, it was only $2.2 billion. That means all this capital injected in there, there's a lot of startups working on the technology aspect of real estate. So it's not just, you know, all the data we've been seeing, such as on Zillow or Property Stream, where you can go online and pull up all this data on any property, or FaceTime property viewings that COVID helped accelerate or helped start, should I say. So all this capital is going to accelerate all of this to another level. So my guest today is Richard W. J. Brown. He's joining us here today from Sao Paulo. He is a longtime property investor, business owner, and researcher, and he's the author of PropTech, a guide to how property technology is changing how we live, work, and invest. So he's joining us here today, and he's going to help open our eyes to the biggest trends out there in property technology so you can find out about this stuff and work smarter and remain competitive. Hi, Richard. Hi, Isha. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure. You know, you know I read, went through your book. I read your book and I was very impressed with the amount of time and research you put into this. How did your fascination with property tech start to motivate you to write a book like this? Yeah, it, it seemed like a crazy idea, really, in retrospect. Um, thank you for reading the book as well. I really appreciate that. Um, essentially, I'm, um, I, I guess I, I like, you call me a researcher. I like to um, spot trends, I think. 
Uh, I, I read a lot and, you know, different types of publication. And she's trying to work out what's happening. And I started to notice um, some, you know, kind of emerging trends in the property sector, which were more technology driven. And then you've got this crossover from different sectors, from fintech or financial technology, for example. Uh, and we'll get into some of the, the elements of it. But um, I started to spot this. And then I thought, well, this is kind of a, this is a lead, leading trend. This is something that's coming downstream. And not many people are actually talking about it as a topic, prop tech. So um, I've got my own podcast, which is called the Property Voice Podcast. And in January 2018, I started an interview series with um, a range of what I call big brains from the prop tech sector. And uh, I interviewed them over about six months or so. And then I stole all their ideas and put them into the book. Um, so that's kind of how, how it happened and, and, and how it evolved. So 2018, that was. And that was my prop tech year or my prop tech passion project year. And have you continued your exploration, your research, or did you, did you just stop with the book? I, I would say it's a lot softer. Um, I mean, I don't know if have you written a book, uh, but I can't remember. I have written a book. I have an Amazon bestseller called Earn It, Grow It, Keep It. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so this is my, that was my second book. I'm just, I'm just writing my third one. There's quite a lot of energy um, and time and resource that goes into writing. Absolutely. So, Lots of mental space. Absolutely. So I kind of moved into a slightly different direction um, after that. So don't test me too much on the detail of, you know, what's on page 34, for example. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. So I think I've been monitoring it from a distance. I think, interestingly, with you inviting me to come and talk to you today, I did obviously revisit the book. Um, it's three years now since I published the book. And uh, a lot has changed in three years. And so, for example, I, I do uh, recall there's some people I, I mention as resources. It's, the book is more, you know, it's it's international, but it's pro predominantly UK um, technology led, I guess. Um, but there were a couple of people I referenced in the book which don't exist anymore. So that's one of the things with this sector. And you were talking about the venture capitalists uh, pouring money into, you know, we interviewed somebody from Pylabs, for example, and um you know, the, 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 they kind of working on a one in 10 bet or something like that. So a lot, you know, nine out of 10 of these VC, uh, these startups may not survive. And um, so it's picking the right technology, actually, um, whether you're an investor in the technology or whether you're a user of the technology can actually be, um, you know, a bit stressful and quite important to make that decision. Let's, you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of people aren't talking about prop tech, and I agree with you. I was talking to a couple of people, and I said, oh, I'm, my, my next podcast is going to be on prop tech. And they said, what's that? They looked mm -hmm. at me with a blank stare. Can you help us understand, our listeners understand, what that actually means and, and the different sectors? And it's, it's vast. So can you break that down a little bit into layman's terms and help us understand what property technology is? Yeah, I'll give it a go. I think um, I'll start with the obvious, which is it's a merger of two words, which is property and technology. Uh, obviously, just like fintech is finance, finance and technology. So it's the, it's the merging of these two worlds. So we've got bricks and mortar on the one hand, and we've got, you know, data and, you know, software and apps and, and things like that on, the, on that hand. And it's bringing them to, to two together to make sort of use applications which are helpful 
Um, but then it breaks out. It's not. It's, it's a very difficult sector to define. So you've got principles like you know, what's called construction technology. Uh, for example, you've got the sharing economy, things like Airbnb. Um, you've got um, uh, smart home technology and uh, and, fin- and fintech or financial technology. That, they're, they're the sort of uh, – that's Pi Lab's definition of prop tech, which is four segments, which is basically where they're putting their money. But I think if you um, – in, in, in my terms, when I wrote the book, I actually thought there were more subsections to the sector, and so I've got more than four in the book. I might have to refer to the table of contents just to remind myself. But, you know, so I've mentioned some of them, but, you know, extra ones to mention are audiovisual uh, type uses, um, blockchain technology, and uh, and perhaps looking at a little bit further forward, you know, things like uh, megatrends and smart cities. So the, there's probably between four and about eight different subsections, and there's a bit of a blurring in some some senses as well. So okay. it's, it's kind of difficult to exactly define it. And okay. that's one of the reasons, funny enough, I wrote the book, is uh, it kind of pulls it together. And uh, it, I should say that I'm a property guy who's interested in technology rather than a technologist who, um, you know, operates in property. So I kinda, I'm, I'm not a geek. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm a property person as well, and that's why I wanted us to approach this from a perspective of a real estate investor, someone who buys and sells property for a return on investment. So looking at that from that perspective, can you draw from your book existing and upcoming technologies that you might have referenced, for example, audiovisual enhancements that a property investor, as they're going through the transaction from finding it to analyzing it and so forth, funding it. What can yeah. a property investor ad- adopt that will enhance his performance throughout the transaction? Sure. I think, you know, for individual property investors, um, you know, smaller businesses in the property sector, it's, it's more evolution than revolution. It's also more about, I think, productivity tools and process, you know, tools rather than some you know revolutionary you know, earth-shattering changes so and they're micro changes so you mentioned for example the the, the process or the process um, you know find analyze fund or uh, uh, an exit and if you if you start with finding uh, sourcing property you could look at things like mapping technology um, and there's various listing sites which allow you to um, you know th- they'll be different in the states so perhaps what I'm using so Correct. if I use different names it um, may not apply but you can find you know sites you can find a lot of data relating to those sites um, you can have automated valuation tools you can have um, you know property d- data listing um, uh, subscription based services where you can you know sift and profile to source properties um, mobile app listing technology now that's all in the finding there's probably more in terms of analyzing automated valuation is, is an interesting one. Uh, there's data aggregators, so you can now list your property uh, on multiple um, either rental or sales portals through an aggregator. Um, that makes you know your life easier and to put yeah, the word we out. Have, we have the MLS system here, which we've had for a while. Yeah. So I'm thinking. So let's take, for example, maybe take it into a different segment. Let's talk short-term rental or service accommodation type of uh, letting. 
You okay. can, you know, use what they call the online um, tra um, travel agents, things like Booking.com, uh, Airbnb, TripAdvisor, for example. Right. And you can get you can get an app or you know technology now which you can put into that one app and that distributes to all of those. So one of them is Tokit. There's other ones um, that you can utilize, and the same applies as well with. Um, you know, listing a rental property. So in the UK, for example, you've got Home Renter, put it on this app and it distributes to some of the property portals. So it simplifies. Um, but equally, you can use, I'm talking about this is in the sales side of it really now. Um, you can also utilize um, things like, I said on the funding side of it, this is kind of, I think, could be really exciting because you've got, you know, the mainstream banks and lenders but then you've got emerging uh, financial providers like peer-to-peer -peer lenders, crowdfunding platforms, and even the emergence of, of blockchain funds now. Um, they're still um, alternative, um, but it's bringing in you know, new types of funding, uh, equity-based uh, you know, funding to our um, opportunities. So there's quite a lot of things you could do in that space, and I think that's going to grow. And then you can use online listings or um, self-listing sites to sell, for example. It's, it, but what I'm really describing is a whole range of different individual tools which you can utilize to make your life easier. Right, so you can become more efficient. Exactly. It's more productivity gain. It's more simplifying processes uh, rather than, you know, something, you know, radical right now. But I wouldn't, what I talk about in the book, is you know maybe today real estate is quite a slow moving industry in itself. So Correct. technology technology is fast moving. Real estate slow moving. So Correct. you're kind of bringing these two different forces together, and there's a bit of a struggle. And and I think you know who's going to win. Um, but I think maybe in five to ten years you'll start to see what you might call more radical change. But in the immediate short term, it's probably about process gains, productivity, making life easier, and just being maybe one or two steps ahead. Uh, of the next guy. And using a lot of online data like mm -hmm. Zillow and Property Stream and things like that. Absolutely. It's so easy to find data now online on, on a property. What about audiovisual advances such as VR, augmented reality, drones? Yeah. I find that to be exciting. Absolutely. And I think, um, so for example, you could show a, a home to me. I'm in Sao Paulo. You're, well, I don't know exactly where you are, but you're obviously in the U.S., um, and we're, you know, we're in different subcontinents and uh, you could show me that technology remotely. We, it could be, you know, audio visual uh, tools that we use. There could be computer generated imagery that's utilized to give you a visual impression. And if you think about um, if you're a developer, um, for example, and you build a lot of developers, they build like a, a housing estate or something and inv in invariably they'll have a show home. And so um, that's an expensive investment, right? To build a show home, you know, just for the purposes of, of showing people. And it's physically, it's fixed <laughs> in that location. Imagine, you know, being able to, um, you know, visualize that from a distance. It's, um, and that's where, you know, things like uh, augmented reality and, you know, virtual reality can play a part. Um, and then obviously we've just very, you know, bring it back to, you know, like, let's say a, a real estate investor who's renting property. You can maybe um, um, sort of have like video fly through, which kind of takes you through a virtual tour. And as you say, if you've got the right kind of property, which has got land or, you know, you can do drone views and it's, it's not expensive. 
um, you know, necessarily, I mean, you can get a Matterport and that kind of is expensive piece of kit, but, um, you know, you can re reuse that. So people what, are using What is a matter, Matterport? What is a that? Matterport, it's basically the sort of the 360 degree um, oh, yes. camera. A camera. Okay. It's a camera. And yes. you know, so the basic listings are just, you know, text and photographs on a portal. And it doesn't take a lot to make yourself stand out more. You know, we, you know, maybe you have a floor plan. Well, what if you actually put some furniture in the floor plan so you can visualize that? You know, what if you had a drone, you know, video shoot to highlight the benefit of your landscape garden, for example? So um, that's what I mean. It's, it's small things that can help you stay one or two steps ahead, perhaps, of the of the competition. But I think the bigger, biggest gains there is the it reduces the distance. Uh, so you could show me a home now remotely without me having to travel. And, and that reduces the cost and time input for all of us. And you, you wouldn't need to build a show home. So there's a couple of different applications there. Absolutely. And how about construction technology? Can you talk about some of the trends? Sure. Like I so, love the idea of 3D printed homes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the, the, the thing with construction technologies is some really cool ideas. And uh, so 3D printing is a, is a one. And, and it literally is a machine that squirts out, you know, concrete and stuff and builds a wall. And you can, and then they, people go in and finish the, the property. Um, it doesn't, the technology is not, uh, it, it looks like it's been, it's like, you know, a cake thing where you pipe, do piping. It, it hasn't got the best finish necessarily. And so it's improving. And it's been a little while since I looked at that. So maybe it's advanced since I looked. But um, you can use this sort of technology to, um, get into remote locations, you know, especially after a crisis. So if there's a flood or something like that, people have lost their homes. You can actually drop in 3D printers and build low-cost housing uh, pretty quickly. So it's got that kind of application. And then you've got other technologies, lots of emerging things like modular construction, for example, uh, alternative types of building materials um, that can be used. The challenge is this. The challenge is the establishment. Um, so when I say the establishment, um, and again, forgive me if I use any terminology which is um, not necessarily from the from the states, but you know the the lenders, the and the valuers, um, and then you know the other sort of professional bodies are a bit resistant to change. And so whilst you could build a, a house out of um, you know straw, literally, uh, or you know. Um, uh, you know, clay bricks, those sorts of things, which are in keeping with the uh, landscape, um, it would be difficult to get that appraised and, you know, insured and lent against. And, and that's the challenge right now. So sometimes the technology is running ahead of the uh, establishment, the institutions, the regulators. And, and that's part of the challenge here. Well, here in the States, we're starting to see 3D printing. California, New York, are more open-minded with these things. So we're seeing a 3D printed community pop up in California. And then modular homes, that's being adapted right now. That's, that's sure. more, more commonplace here in the States. When we've got exper people experimenting with that, say in the UK, we've got, um, for example, some of the insuring insurance companies, believe it or not, are investing in you know modular construction or offsite, you know, which is constructed offsite and then brought to site to be assembled. 
So it reduces the time on site quite considerably, um, which is an advantage. Can you um, explain to our listeners, um, some of them may not be familiar with modular construction, what that is? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like Lego. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's you know, building blocks um, built in a factory. Um, so it's built to a, a you know, very high standard based on accurate drawings, um, you know, cut and shaped and, and prepared off-site in a factory location. And then it's shipped to site. And usually it's assembled within, you know, days rather than weeks. Um, and so, it, as I say, reduces time on site. And that's very helpful, particularly if you're in a difficult environment to work outside, whether it's too hot or too cold, for example. So it allows you to do that. And, you know, time on site, that means you can actually work on multiple projects at the same time if you have a, a construction team, whilst, you know, your uh, modular construction is done off site. So it's it's like piecemeal building blocks. So it's it's the, the prefab homes after the war in the UK were the same thing, but the technology is much better now. It's um, as it's as durable as a normal home built from concrete. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we're talking about cutting cost and being more productive. What about from an environmentally sustainability perspective? That's big, especially with people that are going into their 30s buying homes that's that that's big topic for people these days completely and you know you've just seen i don't know what you what news you've got over there but you know energy prices for example right now are really skyrocketing all you know, over the world yeah all over the world fossil fuels in particular uh price of gas and not necessarily very environmentally friendly so there's a massive push with climate change and green energy and that's coming from Global, you know, governments over the world. And there's a lot of uh, political support and there's a lot of financial aid which is getting behind this movement because we need to reduce, you know, our carbon footprint. The problem here is that a lot of the uh, real estate is pre-existing. And so you, in new buildings, you can obviously put in the new latest technology and design it with energy efficiency in mind. Um, in 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 where I where I live, you know, some of the houses are well over a hundred years old. Yes, um, and, I've been to London. Yes, yeah. there's so, not a lot of room. No, a lot of room. Sometimes you can't. There's no insulation between the walls. Uh, there's drafts. You know, there's things like this. So it's it's retrofitting is going to be the challenge. And one of the latest announcements from the UK government, for example is a subsidy scheme for uh, ground source heat pumps or alternative heat recovery pumps. Uh, and that the idea is to replace gas boilers. But if I just tell you that a, a, a basic ground, ground source heat pump is about four times the cost of a, of a gas boiler. So there's a bit of a way to go in terms of making the technology affordable and, um, and, and adoption and how do you retrofit it in 95% of the housing stock when you're only you know, adding to the new new places. So I think there's a lot that's coming. Smart homes is a good way to control your energy costs. Um, you can put in, you know, different types of technology to improve, like heat source pumps and things like that. Solar, wind, it'll, if you've got it'll, space. it'll make a real estate investor more competitive that way too. When they're trying to get out of the deal and sell it, you have a smart home. So... Yeah, it can, make, it can be attractive. Obviously, the, the real cost saving is with the user, the occupier. So uh, it's good for build-to-rent operators, 
Um, but, you know, uh, people who are buying homes will be looking for more energy efficient homes going forward. You're right. So it's more attractive that way. Yes. Um, and we talked about blockchain a little bit earlier. Can you explain that, too? Because people are puzzled about that as well. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I understand it completely. But um, <laughs> I think the best analogy I can give is kind of a database meets the Internet. Um, so and then you get these sort of literally these blocks of data. Uh, the benefit of the blockchain is it's what is called a distributed environment. So it's not owned by a central body. It's distributed uh, among and it could be literally global. So nobody really owns it. I mean, there are some blockchains which are owned, but generally nobody owns it. And it's, um, it's very secure because the data is, is kind of preserved forever. And there's lots of you know, people who test the data. So it's very secure. It, it can run independently anywhere in the world. And it's relatively cheap from a transaction point of view. And if you consider, I mean, obviously, we, we're from first world countries uh, in the most part, but yeah, about 30% of the world's population don't have access to a bank account. And bank transactions are relatively expensive. But blockchain technology uh, and, and transactions are relatively cheap. So it can really change the, uh, the world's financial system. And another great application of blockchain technology, because it's, it mentioned that the data stored forever. So you could, for example, store all of the data about a house transaction for years uh, and, and in what's called a smart contract. So it's secure, it reduces paper, you know, it, it, you know, it is portable. So there's a couple of uh, really interesting use classes. And another one I'm really interested in is, um, is funding using the blockchain. And uh, so you could use it as a, uh, to attract investment in your schemes. You could also use it uh, you, as an investor having fractional ownership, perhaps in real estate, because real estate is quite expensive to get involved in. Um, you need hundreds yes. of thousands. Whereas you could get involved with hundreds, you know, it's it's that's what blockchain can do. So it's a fascinating technology. I think it's another one that is it's 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 in a it's in a fight. And you just need to look at what China's done. China has banned cryptocurrencies of all descriptions, for example. They banned a lot of things because they see the future of it and they're afraid of it. That's right. So you know, there's this battle, there's this tension going on between the establishment, in this case, governments and banks, and, Correct. you know, these emerging technologies, uh, such as blockchain, cryptocurrency. So uh, who's going to win? Um, who's going to win? Who do you, who do you think is going to win? I think the AI and data and prop tech and all these developments are going to win because that's the direction everything is going. You mentioned AI, actually. I think this is the real, I think this, I was probably understating the value of artificial intelligence. I actually think artificial intelligence is the next, or is already the big thing. And I think this is um, already with us. It's, we're already starting to see the impact. Of course. Um, algorithms and, you know, bots and, you know, things like this. Of course, some of the big tech companies are using this technology, but we can use it too. Um, our advantage. Absolutely. So anyway, I get a bit passionate about um, maybe blockchain and maybe artificial intelligence. And I think also the sharing economy, they're the sort of, they're the ones I'm really watching. 
You're saying? really watching that, the, the fourth industrial revolution unfolding before our eyes. Now, right. what, would you, what would you say to those investors out there who are afraid of the change and who think that this transformation is going to take over? What would you say to these people? Do you, do you want me to be frank? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, adapt, adapt or die. Adapt or die is what I would say. Um, so the thing is, I talked about real estate being traditionally slow moving. It takes a, it, the U.S. actually is quite quick, actually, relatively speaking. Um, but you know, tra- transactions are relatively slow. It's difficult to upgrade the housing stock. Um, some of the associated industries like the legal profession, for example, um, are, are using antiquated systems. And there's a lot of things pulling it down, whereas, of Absolutely. course, techno- technology is, is moving at such a pace. And I say a lot of the technology uh, providers are ahead of the game. And then the regulators are trying to catch up. But I think here's the thing. Um, Technology is here to stay. Um, it's going to impact every area of our lives. Just uh, you mentioned Uber and Airbnb, and you can you know, see that um, where the changes are coming. You know, It's pay for use instead of pay, for, pay as the asset. Um, it's different types of commercial contract, um, and it's different types of services and, and a rating culture. Let's say that so that, you know, we will be judged as uh, property owners by our tenants who are actually customers. And I think this is going to change the way, um, you know, we're viewed. And I think if we don't adapt, we're going to bury our heads in the sand and we're going to get a big bite on our backsides. So can you explain a little bit more about that, how this ownership model is changing, going from, you know, homes being seen less of an asset and more of a service and the occupants are tenants as customers? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I'm an old guy now, right? Um, um, uh, but, you know, if I look at my kids who are in their 20s, they, they don't buy anything. <laughs> they, they, they go and stay in an Airbnb, but they get an Uber to get there. You know, it's they just pay for the convenience. Um, perhaps, you know, I know people who will go and live in a different country for a month or three months. I've done that. You've done that. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's, it's a different mindset. And we need to think about the generations coming through and what they've grown up with. You know, they've grown up with instant everything. Um, they've yeah. grown up with, you know, uh, nobody says, you know, well, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I, I don't say I'm going to get a taxi. I say I'm going to get an Uber. Uh, you know, it's becoming ubiquitous, you know, this sort of terminology. Even um, in New York City, nobody gets a taxi. Everybody calls an Uber. So it's the it's, same here as well. It's the same. And so yeah. if we don't pay attention uh, as, you know, more experienced real estate investors to these emerging trends, we're going to get overtaken. So I think, you know, uh, housing as a service, community living, uh, the blurring of lines between home, work, and you know leisure, uh, mm-hmm. all trends to to watch. And if you know if we just think we're just going to buy uh, a single you know family home somewhere, rent it out forever and a, and a day, and that will be the end of that, then you know it, things are going to change and we're going to get outpaced. Absolutely. You know, even the way the communities are being the, the desirability of communities, people want walkability and easy access to everything. Yeah, I mean, just that is an emerging trend. Absolutely. I mean, um, one, of, one of the guys who's like a futurist who I interviewed, he was talking about, you know, um, these sort of 
out of out of city hubs with you know shared transportation systems and um, little energy um, hubs as well that they're plugging into. So all these things, you've got these smart city experiments that are taking place uh, in different parts of the world. Um, so I think there's a lot of um, experimentation. There's a lot of um, emerging applications. And I think, as you know, to go back to your original point, if we, you know, I, I expect to be in the real estate sector for decades. But I think if I don't adapt over those decades, I might, you know, I might sort of become uncompetitive, you know, with my offerings and lose sight of, you know, uh, good opportunities, devalue my asset, reduce my income stream. Let's think about the bottom line. You talked about ROI earlier. Yes. I'm using technology here. Uh, and we're talking about technology, but really for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a value-adding investor. Uh, and for me, if it doesn't hit the bottom line, you know, I'm kind of not interested. So that's a bit Absolutely. of an extreme. What's the point? Exactly. What's the point? If you're not so getting I'm, a good ROI. Yeah. So I'm not coming at technology saying, oh, that's great. That's nice and shiny and, ooh, you know, that sort of thing. Great user interface. No, I'm thinking, what are the uses that will affect, uh, Im- impact my investment um, and make it, you know, perform better for me uh, or at least uh, keep me ahead of the competition? Wonderful. All right. Richard, thank you so much for your time. You're more than welcome. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time. And don't forget, like and subscribe to the channel.